Hello, everyone. I'm Blaine Gilmer. Welcome into this SEC morning report here on this Labor Day as we are about to wrap up the first weekend, the big weekend of college football. You got an ACC game in Clemson and Duke tonight, but the SEC games have wrapped up for the week. And we're going to talk here on this morning report about how these teams fared, these SEC teams that we've been so excited to see play. Um, but the question is, what, if anything, did we really learn from week one of some of these teams? A few of them, three of them, we really learned a lot about. SEC teams that went outside of the conference and played in marquee games, that would be LSU, Florida, and South Carolina. Uh, LSU, of course, goes against Florida State and was doing everything they needed to do kind of early on. Um, didn't take advantage of some red zone opportunities. They ended up getting blown out at the end by Florida State, not what a lot of people expected. I thought LSU would win a close one, and man, did that offensive line not come to play. The same thing for South Carolina. No offensive line play. Spencer Rattler, Jaden Daniels, and Graham Mertz. All three of them. Florida, same thing against Utah. All three of those quarterbacks did some really good things and got absolutely zero help. When you want to be successful in the SEC or leaving the SEC, going out and facing top-tier competition, which, listen, North Carolina, Utah, Florida State, all good football teams this year, you cannot have just putrid offensive line play like LSU did, like South Carolina did, like Florida did. Um, Florida, South Carolina, LSU could not run the football when it comes to their running backs, at least. Jaden Daniels had some success running the football for LSU at times against Florida State and just showed really the kind of athlete that, that he is. I mean, he did a everything for LSU in that first half, was, was completing passes, was look, going through his progressions, things of that nature, but he was on the run the entire night. Uh, and when you look at it, the running back production for all three of those teams, Florida, LSU, South Carolina, just not there. Overall, Florida has 13 yards rushing. Yes, that does include sacks, but you look at the night for Trevor at the end, seven carries, 25 yards, that's 3.6 yards per carry when he when you're not including the, the sack yardage to Graham Mertz, who was eight carries for 29 yards, including the sacks, and then Montreal Johnson, three carries, Six yards. Not going to get it done for a Florida team that has zero weapons on the outside that can you can be relied upon to win matchups one-on-one. -on -one. Florida does not have that. That is not the MO of this football team. They have to be able to run the football. Um, LSU against Florida State, they could not get anything going run game-wise outside of Jaden Daniels. Um, they just absolutely did not get any production from those backs. Let's look right here. Josh Williams, four carries, 44 yards. The problem was they just didn't they didn't even try to run him football consistently. He probably had he had one nice run there that kind of contributed to that. But Noah Kane, Trey Bradford, they got down inside of the two-yard line and couldn't punch the ball in. It's six, seven attempts early on against Florida State. Not good, not going to cut it. That offensive line who 
we thought was going to be really good coming back with Emory Jones and Will Campbell. Will Campbell, a sophomore on that team, named a captain. They're expecting a lot about all those guys returning up front and just did not get it done. Florida State in the second half decided, hey, we're going to – uh, we're going to bully you around. Jared Verse and company just absolutely wreaked havoc up there, and they couldn't get a run game going. So Jaden Daniels, uh, you know, had to start forcing stuff in that second half, and that is not the way LSU wants to play. And then South Carolina. South Carolina, we knew and said that North Carolina was going to going to win this game. We picked North Carolina to win. And the main reason was I said, hey, South Carolina does not have any running backs. They do not have a real, uh, you know, quality offensive line. They brought in guys that were from group of five and Ivy League and all this kind of stuff. And they're trying to, you know, insert them and and think they're going to, uh, you know, play at the level they need to play them and develop them like Dow Loggins is going to you know, sprinkle some kind of pixie dust and they're going to become, you know, SEC caliber football players. And that's just not how it, not how it went for South Carolina. You look at these, these numbers to carry and joiner, 12 carries, 23 yards. That's 1.9 per carry. Juju McDowell, five carries, negative one yards. Spencer Rattler, you know, got sacked nine times and the, the miracle uh, that he only had negative 22 yards. So it tells you what he was able to do. He's elusive. He went 30 of 39 for 353. Didn't have a touchdown on that, but he didn't throw an interception either. So I'm just telling you, before you go and blame Spencer Rattler, uh, Jaden Daniels, or Graham Mertz for your team's loss, if you're an LSU fan, a, a Florida fan, or a South Carolina fan, don't, because it starts with those guys up front, and they were horrendous, horrendous. So that is a that we learned that the SEC did not wave its flag proudly uh, against two ACC teams and a Pac-12 team that is a future Big 12 team in Utah. They went outside the conference and got punked. So now turning the page to week two, Alabama is going to have a chance to kind of hold the banner up against a Big 12 team that's coming in to be an SEC team in Texas. And speaking of Alabama. I would say Alabama falls into the same category with the following teams that, that kind of went out and, and did their thing this weekend. Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri, and Tennessee. So Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri, and Tennessee all played really, really well defensively, showed elite talent on that side of the ball, stopped the run, was were just flying all over the place and played a brand of football that allows you to start a little bit slower on offense because all of them did. Uh, listen, there were there were times where there was some some miscues by the either the quarterback or receivers or things like that for different the different um, teams that I just mentioned there. I think Jalen Milrow probably played the best of any of the quarterbacks out of those five teams. People are going to say, well, look at Joe Milton's stats and look at Carson Beck's stats. They ended up having good games. There's a difference between compiling good stats against inferior competition and really playing the quarterback position well. Okay. Here's what Joe Milton and Carson Beck both did they understand their team system, they're able to navigate their team 
in and out of good situations. They are able to go through progressions and things of that nature. But at some point, you have to say, what is the standard? And those offenses, whether it was a receiver dropping a football, whether it was the quarterback being too amped up and sailing one on several throws. People want to make out like it's one or two, several throws that both Joe Milton and Carson Beck didn't didn't just have total 100% uh, cohesion with the receivers there and didn't either maybe didn't take enough off of it in Joe Milton's case or didn't have the communication they needed to have with the receivers in Carson Beck's case. And people are going to realize that, hey, yeah, you can complete 70% of your passes. Carson Beck completed 67, Joe Milton 70, whatever, okay? But when you're facing teams that are absolute hot dog water, okay, because that's what Virginia is, that's what UT Martin is, Virginia is a very, very bad football team. When their head coach comes out and says he's just proud that they were on the field and, uh, you know, playing football because of the emotion uh, the, the emotional mindset of that team after losing three of their teammates last year to a shooting on a bus and all the stuff that they've gone through. Tony Elliott has a very, very, very bad football team. I would take Vanderbilt by two touchdowns right now over a Virginia team. That tells you where, where they are. And UT Martin was FCS school. Now, I will say this. I think of the group of Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri, and Tennessee, I think the most impressive unit in terms of running the ball and stopping the run was Tennessee. Tennessee's defense is the real deal. It was disruptive. Uh, yes, I know, like I said, Virginia, not a good football team, but it is disruptive. At four sacks, 11 tackles for a loss, they continue to create negative plays like they did last year. If they can get that kind of havoc, that kind of production out of that defense, then they're going to allow Joe Milton to kind of come along on some things because it wasn't perfect, okay, for Joe Milton. And, and at times, Hendon Hooker looked perfect for Tennessee last year. That's how much it was clicking. So we'll see how things uh, kind of go in the next couple of weeks. Tennessee, they have a cupcake game this week, uh, but then they get Florida in a couple of weeks. Georgia, same thing, cupcake game. Uh, we'll see how they do when South Carolina comes to town. But we talked again. Is that even going to be a big test with South Carolina and how bad that offensive front is for the Gamecocks? So if you're Tennessee, if you're Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri, Alabama, you have to be really, really pleased with your defense. You want to see your offenses get off to faster starts and be more efficient uh, as they go forward. Not that you don't, you didn't pull away and you didn't compile stats and all that kind of stuff, but you know, Alabama being at 14 nothing in you know late going late into the second quarter things of that nature not necessarily what you wanted against a MTSU team which I believe is a good football team um you know Stocksville does a great job over there they they blew out Miami last year all that kind of stuff but Jalen Milrow looked the part I mean he was efficient he ran the football um you know Alabama has the playmakers that they need they protected him well I think Alabama's got to overall be really pleased week one. And now they're about to find out. They're about to find out what they're going to look like with Texas coming to town. I think Alabama is, you know, primed to win that football game and may even dominate Texas uh, because because of Jalen Milrow. I think he's an exciting player. 
Uh, I think they're not asking him to do more than he needs to do. And if they can be efficient running the football, which all these teams were early on, then that's what you need. Now, Georgia, I'll say this about Georgia. Georgia did not look like the number one team in the country. 17 nothing, well into the third quarter against UT Martin, an FCS school. Not going to cut it. That's not the standard. I got, you know, hammered on social media saying, hey, I doubt Georgia's even number one next week. People are saying, oh, they won 48 to seven against an FCS school that is not even close to the caliber of what Georgia's going to be playing against. And they just look disinterested at times. That offensive line that is going to probably get four guys drafted off of it did not push people around they needed to when they needed to. Carson Beck at times is such an even killed guy that it looks like there's he's just disinterested at times. Like you know, almost that that there's no fire. There, where where are you? I mean, at least out of Joe Milton, you get excitement, you get fire, you get leadership. I don't know where Georgia's going to get the leadership on the offensive side because Brock Bowers is a quiet guy. Uh, Cedric Von Prahn is a quiet guy at center, and Carson Beck is a quiet guy. You don't have a guy with that that swagger kind of that Stetson Bennett had. So that's something that Georgia's got to figure out and comes, where's the leadership come from? They didn't play a lot of guys uh, over there, Lad McConkey, Dejan Edwards, stuff like that. So definitely want to see them pick it up week two offensively and come out. Uh, I don't care if you're vanilla or not. They should have pushed around UT Martin and they didn't at times. So going to be interesting to see there how Georgia comes out. Week two, you got Ball State coming to town. Can they just look dominant from start to finish, start fast, play fast? Speaking of Ball State, I mentioned Kentucky, okay? Kentucky didn't bring their A game offensively, still scored 44 uh, points. Devin Leary comes out, and he is not as accurate as he wanted to be, but when he was, when he delivered that football, you saw Dane Key, you saw uh, Barry and Brown, you saw Tavian Robinson, you saw those guys able to make plays. We saw Ray Davis be able to run the football efficiently. Kentucky uh, absolutely uh, dominated defensively, played really, really well, um, had guys dislodging the football, had guys running around just eating up space. I think Kentucky plays a brand of football that I really, really like and, you know, Devin Leary's only going to get better. He had to come out and, uh, you know, prove to himself, I think, after that peck injury that he, okay, this is my first time playing. I can really let it loose and get going. So I think they'll build that build that rapport there as they go forward. But, guys, the teams that came out and really, really showed out uh, in week one, Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Yes, I know that they're playing New Mexico and Mercer, respectively. But, man, if Texas A&M and Ole Miss can get the quarterback play that they got out of Connor Wigman and Jackson Dart, Connor Wigman threw for 10.3 yards per attempt. I want you to understand in 2021, I don't even think Texas A&M threw for over 10 yards per attempt, and it only happened twice last year for Texas A&M against Sam Houston State early on, and that was kind of – uh, you know, just because something happened late, they felt like they needed to, to you know, show some dominance late because they looked awful at the beginning of that game last year. Uh, Haynes King, at quarterback, all that kind of stuff. And then they did it against Massachusetts last year with Connor Wigman at quarterback. And that was only 
191 yards and 19 pass attempts. So here's what here's what happened. Texas A&M has weapons, and Bobby Petrino was calling up some shots, and they were throwing it up to you know six foot five. 200-pound wide receiver Noah Thomas, who had three touchdowns on the day. Nobody even talks about a whole lot. But if Connor Wingman is confidently going through progressions, pushing the ball down the field with what Texas A&M has on the defensive side of the ball that is going to just absolutely stifle opponents and the overall athleticism that Texas A&M has on that roster, if Connor Wingman is that guy, then Texas A&M has a chance to be a really, really special football team, okay? I know New Mexico, it's New Mexico. It is what it is. But when you see him and also Jackson Dart delivering the ball in tight windows because there was some tight coverage on some of those some of those plays and the receivers are going up and making plays for him, Noah Thomas for Texas A&M, Trey Harris for Ole Miss, that is very, very encouraging. And you have to really like what you see so far out of those guys. Now, you don't want to overreact because it is inferior competition. I would be more concerned if you're a team, honestly, like like Georgia, who just played disinterested and didn't go out and beat up on inferior competition. Texas A&M and Ole Miss just did what they were supposed to do, but that was an uncommon deal. You had uh, Missouri, who didn't they just kind of played with their food with with South Dakota State over there, didn't uh, or with South Dakota. They just didn't go about business in a in a manner that was thoroughly impressive offensively. But they played really really good defensively. So did Kentucky. So did Alabama. Uh, so did Tennessee. So what we need to see is these offenses start faster for those teams. Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee, like Texas A&M did and like Ole Miss did because it was impressive. Jackson Dart, uh, you know, many people question, okay, you brought Spencer Sanders in. How's that going to go? Things like that. Jackson Dart laid claim to that starting position um, going forward. And now we're going to learn, just like we we talked about with Alabama, we're going to learn a lot about Ole Miss in week two. Because coming up, it's going to be a heck of a quarterback matchup with Jackson Dart and Michael Pratt of Tulane. Michael Pratt is a guy who just played has played lights out for Willie Fritz and company. Now, Ole Miss has to go to New Orleans. They go down there to Tulane. So that's going to be a top 25 matchup, a exciting game. Alabama-Texas, an exciting game, an exciting matchup. But overall, guys, I think the things that we learned this week is LSU, South Carolina, and Florida got punked up front. Absolutely did not play well on the offensive line. Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky, uh, Missouri, Tennessee, all just kind of played with their food at times and didn't have as consistent of performances as they would like, whether it was uh, you know receivers at times, quarterback at times, offensive line at times, different things. But if Tennessee has that kind of disruptive front, and can really run the football the way that they did, so impressively with Jalen Wright, then watch out because it's going to allow everything else to come into place there. I think you're going to see more consistent quarterback play uh, from Georgia, Kentucky, and Missouri uh, going into to week two. So, guys, I'm excited. The morning report is the SEC did not hold the banner uh, against ACC and Pac-12 teams this week. We'll see how the big out-of-conference games go as Texas A&M goes on the road to Miami. 
Texas comes to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. And then, like we said, Ole Miss goes and plays a team that went to the uh, New Year's Six Bowl games in Tulane that is really, really a resurgent program under Willie Fritz. So a lot of exciting games uh, to watch in week two. We'll have all your predictions and breakdowns right here. This has been your SEC Morning Report. I am Blaine Gilmer. We'll catch you guys next time here on Southeastern 14 to talk more SEC football right here on your channel that covers daily SEC sports, Southeastern 14. Thank <laughs> you.